Revelation chapter 1, reading verses 1 through to 8. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from him who is, and who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Dear friends, the wonderful passage of Scripture here reminds us that Jesus loves us and that he has freed us from our sins by his blood. And then one day, our Savior will return. And we see that very clearly. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Eva. Good morning. Our second Bible reading today is from the book of Acts, and we're reading chapter 1 uh, from the start through to verse 11. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 to 11, and on this few Bible, it's found on page 1139. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote to you all about Jesus... Sorry. I wrote all about that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After this suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, "'Do not leave Jerusalem.' But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, 
will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Amen. Thanks, uh, Hayden. Well, let's uh, pray, friends, once again. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that you give us understanding of your word. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you will minister to our hearts. And Father, we pray that we will be drawn closer to you, the true and living Savior this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, good morning once again. It's a great joy to uh, be here this morning as God's people and to celebrate his love and his goodness to us. And um, this morning, we will look at this topic, where is Jesus today? Where is Jesus today? I'm sure that uh, that's a question that we might ask ourselves. So, is he in the grave? Um, is he buried somewhere in, uh, in Palestine somewhere? Uh, where is Jesus? Well, I'm sure most of us enjoy going to the movies, right? Uh, many of us might enjoy going to the movies. And uh, when we look at the movies, uh, when we go to the movies, obviously, we look at the previews of movies uh, that are going to come out in the weeks and months ahead. And I'm sure we look at the trailers that are presented before. And we say, wow, that's a movie that I really want to look at. Right? And in a sense, we have a trailer that has been presented to us as well. The message has been proclaimed in Jesus. He has come into this world. And it has been played out in this world. And one day, it will be brought to completion as well. And so we live in the midst of the first coming of Jesus and his second coming. And we live in this world that's affected by, as John prayed, violence, sadness, sorrow, despair. Of course, we thank God for the good things he gives to us as well. So where is this world basically heading to? Is there going to be some kind of end? Are things going to get better? Or are we going to just live our lives and just cruise along? Where is Jesus today? Well, this morning we will look at Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 11, which is our text. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now let me give you the context here of this passage. It was about 62 AD that a guy by the name of Dr. Luke, the physician, researcher, and exceptionally good historian wrote the book of Acts, which forms the second half of Luke's exposition of the Christian message. Luke chapter 1 and verse 3 in Acts chapter 1, we note that the book is addressed to a guy by the name of Theophilus, who was a person of some high status at the time. In fact, in Luke 1, he's called most excellent. The book of Acts was written to encourage Christians and to commend the gospel to non-Christians. Jesus had appeared to the disciples and others, giving many convincing proofs and evidence of his resurrection for 40 days. He had conquered the grave by his physical resurrection. He died on the cross, the Bible tells us, to pay the penalty for our sin, but he arose from the grave. 
what were some of these proofs? It's, it's okay to say, well, Christ has risen. Has anyone seen him? Well, his appearance to the women is, testifies to the fact that he did appear to the women as well as to the disciples. In fact, in one instance, he called the lady present there by her first name, Mary. And Mary recognized it was Jesus. His encounter with the disciples where he ate and he drank with them. He had breakfast with them on the beach. He appeared to more than 500 at one time in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And in these 40 days, the disciples see firsthand the victory that Jesus has achieved through his resurrection. And they start to focus on this earthly kingdom. And so they ask him, well, Jesus, now that you've risen, you've done all these things, you're a great guy, well, let's establish a new kingdom here on earth. That's going to be a good time because you're going to be here, you're going to provide for us, you're the Jesus who's going to be around for us. That would be really great. Well, the book of Acts tells us another story as well. It tells us and it spells out the ministry of this risen Jesus. The book of Acts, let me refer to some of the, uh, the theologians and their view on this book. A guy by the name of Montgomery Boyce says this, Although called the Acts of the Apostles, this book should be called the Acts of Jesus Christ. John Stott, the well-known theologian, makes the observation that the book of Acts is the continuing words and deeds of Jesus by his Spirit through the risen and ascended King. John Calvin, the great reformer, describes the theme of Acts as the beginning of the reign of Christ and the beginning of the renewal of the world. And in the immediate context here help us, helps us to understand why they viewed the book of Acts in this way. Why? Because just before Jesus ascended into heaven, he told the crowd of disciples that had gathered around him that they will be his witnesses. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So this statement, friends, gives us an outline for the book of Acts. We see the disciples ministering in Jerusalem, spreading out into Judea and Samaria. Then ministering to God-fearing Gentiles in Acts chapter 8 and in Acts chapters 10 to 11. And finally, the disciples, they went over the entire Roman Empire ending in Rome itself. And this is how the gospel began. It began to be proclaimed throughout the known world at the time. And so this morning, this message is, where is Jesus today? Three things that I want to look at in this passage. I want to look at the ascension. Secondly, the announcement. And thirdly, the anticipation. Three things, the ascension, the announcement, and the anticipation, the ascension. After he said these things, while the disciples watched, that is, while they were looking intently, the original word in the Greek means that they stared, they fixed their gaze upon what was going on here in this passage. And we see that in Acts chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, you can see it there very clearly. After he said this in verse 9, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight and they were looking intently. They fixed their eyes. They must have been absolutely stunned. Imagine that. Imagine you in that situation. Wouldn't you be stunned? 
I mean, these disciples, they've gone through a, a mega shift of thinking in their lives. All right, let me explain it very quickly this morning. Now, Jesus came. He did amazing miracles. He called this dead, this man Lazarus and gave him life again. He healed the blind, he healed the sick. And it's tremendous things. Then he's crucified on the cross. Then three days later, he's raised from the dead. He comes out of the tomb himself with all his power. Then he does these convincing proofs. He comes into their room while they are doors locked in and they speaks to them and says, peace be with you. He gives them breakfast. He does great things. And then suddenly they are with him. And lo and behold, he's been lifted up. I don't know. What, what would you do if somebody is there? You're looking at someone and in your very eyes the person's been lifted up. Man, I would know what to do. I probably run. Think, what is going on here? Where would you go and hide? And so the, the text tells us that the intensity of their looking, they were looking intently, absolutely stunned. And little did they realize that what took place was the fulfillment of prophecy. Was the fulfillment of prophecy, the ascension of Jesus was already spoken of, for example, in Psalm 110. A guy by the name of Edward Reynolds has been described as one of the best expositors of Psalm 110. And he wrote, Psalm, he wrote this, Psalm 110 is one of the fullest and most compendious prophecies of the person and officers of Christ in the entire Old Testament. He saw this Psalm, that is Psalm 110, as teaching the doctrines of the divine trinity, the incarnation, the suffering, the resurrection, the ascension, and the intercession of Jesus. The communion of saints, the last judgment, remission of sins, and the life everlasting. I know lots of stuff there. That's how we viewed Psalm 110. The ascension soul fulfills a prophecy. He was taken up in a cloud. Um, you like looking at the clouds? <laughs> right? Do you actually take time to look at the clouds? That's fascinating, isn't it? What? Uh, we know when the clouds are dark, it's going to rain, it's going to pour. Uh, if you look at the clouds, sky and see the, the clouds moving, I, I think it's, it's just amazing. It's fantastic, really. Why the cloud? What, what, let's ask the question, what cloud was this? It may be the cloud of glory, the, the, the Old Testament, the Shekinah cloud that appeared so often in the Old Testament. Remember in the Old Testament, the glory cloud which accompanied the appearances of God throughout his appearances. Right, right then and there, the cloud will come with the manifestation of the true and holy and awesome God. The glory cloud led the children of Israel. And it accompanied the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. The glory cloud again comes one day when Jesus is with his disciples at the Mount of Transfiguration. Right? And in that instance provided, I think, the disciples with but a brief, I think, a brief glimpse of what was to take place at the ascension. <laughs> cloud was there. And here in Acts chapter 1, we have this cloud and this time it appears when Jesus is taken up, lifted up. He's not launched with a rocket launcher here. Right? <laughs> He's lifted up himself. 
You see, here is another miracle in the life of Jesus. His birth is a miracle. Born of the Virgin Mary. His resurrection from the grave is a miracle. Because the, 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 the stone was rolled away. He came out himself. The grave clothes were folded and kept neatly. His ascension is a miracle. In the case of his ascension, all the laws of gravity and physics don't come into the play, does it? It's against all of these things. And he's lifted up before the gazing eyes of the disciples. It must have been the most spectacular sight. And these are eyewitnesses, friends. They saw it happen. And Dr. Luke, the physician, the researcher, makes this point here in Acts chapter 1, in this passage, that the Christian gospel, the person of Jesus Christ, his death was witnessed by people, his crucifixion on the cross was witnessed by people, his resurrection from the grave when he came out, he met with people, with disciples, they saw him, eyewitness accounts, he, witnessed, he, he appeared to more than 500 people, people saw it with their eyes, and here, the disciples see it. You see, it brings us to the authenticity of the gospel, does it not? It brings us to the authenticity of the person of Jesus. Can you trust this Jesus? Is this some kind of a, a story, a myth that has been made up by some person? And so we sit here, oh, poor us Christians, you don't understand a thing. What are you guys hoping for? Yeah, I want to tell you this this morning. Eyewitness accounts testify to what happened to Jesus. Is that enough for us? It's there. That's a fact. You can't deny it. So he was lifted up. In Acts chapter 1, we see that the focus is not one of promise and hope, but fulfillment and victory. Jesus died not only to reconcile us to the Father, but to renew the cosmos and to set the whole created order free from the bondage of decay. And he will bring it to completion one day. And I'll touch on that in a moment. And the ascension of Jesus, friends, is a confirmation that this will take place one day. And so the question is, where did he go? Where did he go to? Let's lift it up. Did he go somewhere? Where, where, where? The announcement that we have here in the passage. Two men and the place where Jesus went to. In Acts chapter 1, 9 and 11, we read, that he was taken up with the clouds, we know that. But then suddenly two men, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do, you look st- uh, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go where? Into some place. Where is it? It's heaven. And the disciples watched Jesus leave. And they gazed and they stared intently as long as their eyes had any sight of him. And two men, angels, come in. And at this point, the two men stood by them. Two angels came and asked them, why are you staring? And these angels dressed in white robes. We know, friends, that angels appear frequently in the scriptures to mark great moments in history. They were present when he was born. Remember that? The choir of angels, the best choir ever. I think, glory to God in the highest, the saying. They, the angels, they appeared 40 days earlier surrounding the tomb and the resurrection of Jesus. They were there. 
Why are you looking for this Jesus? He's not here. He's risen. Why are you looking? And then here now, they come back and say, why are you staring? He's been taken up. Why? The ascension. And this time they speak to the disciples. And the angels then told them this, that this Jesus was taken, was visibly and bodily taken up, and he ascended into a place called heaven. He has gone to heaven. The servant king has left his place on, here on earth to take his rightful place in the temple of God and to have the seat of authority. And the ascension is a clear signal that a physical body was being taken into heaven. The glorious body of Jesus was taken into heaven. I, I don't know the composition of this body because he could eat, he could appear into places and then disappear. But a body was taken, the physical resurrected Christ, the glorified body of Jesus and was taken to a literal place called heaven. It's an actual place. Heaven. Everyone wants to get there, I think. But the question is, how do you get there? Heaven is a place where Jesus is. A prepared place that is designed for God's redeemed people. It is for those who have accepted God's gift of his son. It's a marvelous passage here in John chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you, told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. You see, heaven. According to this and other New Testament verses, heaven will be a place of beauty. It will be a place of peace. It will be a place filled with people from all the, uh, the nations. Look at the number of nations represented here this morning. Right? I look around and I see so many. We have Indians, we have Egyptians, we have Sri Lankans, we have uh, Aussies, Australians, uh, can't forget that, Egyptians, we have... Welsh, well, okay, you tell me. We've got South Africans, Koreans, Chinese. We got everyone here. People of Sudan, you know. What a, India, what, this is incredible. You multiply this by thousands. We have a picture in heaven. What a wonderful thing that is. What a wonderful blessing that is, right? And according to this, it will be a place where God's people dwell. And it assures us the continuity of life beyond the grave. I must say this, I was, I was up early morning in my office, opened up the curtains, I sat there and I took a book out and I just read it. Uh, I was really on um, another aspect of uh, the whole ascension and just reflecting. And the author of the book uh, raised the question, not the first thing you want to read first thing in the morning. <laughs> you will die, it's a, it's, <laughs> that's the page. You will die. Said, oh wow, that's interesting. <laughs> um, where will you go? Where will you spend eternity? Do you know where you're going? Man, these questions, that's the great stuff you want to read first thing in the morning, right? It hit me, bang! What's going to happen? My thoughts came back to this passage. Heaven. What a beautiful assurance we have. Right? What a beautiful assurance. You see, eternal life in heaven to the one who trusts and believes in Jesus is not an empty human aspiration that is built on myths, but an assurance given to us by his ascension. It's not a myth. 
His own triumph over the grave. His ascension is our hope for our participation in his life in eternity. And this gives us solid reasons for expecting a personal continuity of life after death in heaven. The ascension of Jesus is not only profound and powerful, but it is also most comforting to all who trust in Jesus. And where is Jesus today? He is in heaven. And he is at the right hand of the Father. How do we know that? The scriptures tell us. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, a position of authority and power. And John Calvin explains it this way, the great Reformed theologian. He says, Christ was invested with lordship over heaven and earth and solemnly entered into possession of the government committed to him. And that he not only entered into possession once for all, but continues in it until he shall come down on judgment day. And then the author to the book of Hebrews tells us this long passage. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus Christ, let us hold firmly. And then let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. And you know what Jesus is doing? He's interceding for us. This morning, we can pray. Now, we baptize Amea Ananya this morning. Our prayer is that she will grow up and God's protection will be upon her, right? Every parent here, what is our wish for our children? That they know Christ, right? That God's protection will be upon them. Do we pray for them? Do we pray for one another? Do you pray for yourself? You see, where do, where do these prayers go to? What's happening when we pray? Are, 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 we, are we kind of praying into this thin air somewhere, somewhere in, in some sky somewhere? No. We are praying to our God and we are praying it through Jesus Christ who has now, who, where there, that we can approach the throne of grace now through Jesus. And he intercedes. He brings our prayers to the Father and he says, answer these prayers according to your purposes. What a wonderful comfort that is, isn't it? You see, he knows how we feel because he's there even now in a glorified body. Many of us may face sorrow in our lives and many of you may have already and need to be comforted. We shed tears and even when our tears are dried, we know that sadness will bring them to us again, right? You may have shed tears five years ago and just as close as last week, you may have shed tears. But you know what? We are one in heaven to whom we can bring those tears to. We are one in heaven who understands human pain and suffering. We are one in heaven who understands the lonely heart. You might be in the midst of a thousand people in a room and yet feel so alone, right? Because your heart may be so troubled. I don't know. How is your heart this morning? I'm not talking about your physical heart. I'm talking about your soul. How is it this morning? Think about it. You see, God has provided his son. He intercedes for us. And the father out of love for us and his son Jesus answers these prayers offered on behalf of his people. What a great comfort for those who trust him that this living king is the only reigning king but also the great interceder for his people. I want to encourage you this morning. Don't stop praying. Have you stopped praying?
to also pray. Because we have a great God who answers our prayers through his son Jesus. All right? And most of us can testify how God has answered our prayers, right? Many ways. And then we have the anticipation, friends. The text also confirms that Jesus will return one day. We can look forward to some spectacular day. This Jesus was taken up from you into heaven and will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. His return, the Bible tells us, will be visible. He comes in the same way. That is, he will be seen by men coming as he left. That's my understanding of the text here. In the body. It will be spectacular. His return will be glorious. As you saw him go into heaven, will come this time accompanied by angels and the trumpet of the Lord shall sound. I will come with all his glory and all his splendor and all his majesty. And when he returns, he'll be the very same as he was when he was lifted up. And when he returns, friends, you see in 1 Corinthians 15, that is at the last day, Jesus will return and our bodies will be raised imperishable. Let me explain that. For Christians, when we die, our souls go to heaven to be with Jesus, right? The dwelling of our souls in heaven is called the intermediate state because this is not the final destiny God has for his people. This is only an intermediate state, an in-between state. And it is not the final state or the ultimate future of believers. I may say this. The ultimate future of the believer is this. The resurrection of the body at the second coming of Jesus Christ. Once our Savior returns, our physical body somehow will be resurrected. If we have died and will be reunited with the souls. And those who are alive, their bodies will be changed. And we will dwell in what the Bible calls a new heaven and a new earth. On that glorious day, the soul will be raised and transformed with the body. And the believer will once again know the greatness of God's grace in his or her life. Our final state will be spiritual and physical. Most amazingly of all, our resurrected bodies will bear the image of Jesus, the man of heaven. Our bodies will be free from sin and nothing will hinder our fellowship with others. That's what it is. That's the picture. That's the gospel, friends. That is why I'm standing here this morning. If not, I will be sleeping in on Sundays. I won't be here. We won't be singing. Why would we sing to a dead person? Would you? I, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe people do. I don't know. But I wouldn't be doing it. <laughs> Our Savior has risen. He's gone into heaven. Our loved ones who have died in Christ are in heaven. I know many of in this place here, and I see uh, Mr. Wesserink here this morning from Holland. So good to see you. We know that he lost his wife uh, last year, and uh, the grief and sadness for that, for Robert and Anne-Mary and the family. But we know that she loved Jesus. She's in heaven. Many of us have lost, lost our loved ones who knew Christ, one day we will be with them in heaven and we will see them and we will recognize them. We will all be recognizable to one another just as Jesus could be identified by his disciples after his resurrection. Yeah, this is the thing that we look forward to, don't we? 
Amen to that. You see, this is what we look forward to. The coming, the return, the ascended Christ in all his splendor and glory. The one who gives us living hope in a dying world. So where is Jesus today? He's taken up to heaven. He's completed his father's mission. Mission accomplished. Mission complete. He now rules with all authority. He's pleasantly reigning as king. He loves us with an everlasting love. He intercedes with all sympathy for us as our mediator. Friends, this morning, how about you? Where do you stand with this Jesus Christ today? Have you experienced his love? Have you experienced his grace? Have you experienced his mercy? Are you willing to, to, to say, Jesus, I'm trusting you as my Lord? No, because you came. You were crucified for my sins. You paid the price for me on the cross. Raised from the grave. You ascended into heaven. You seated at the right hand of the Father. You're interceding on my behalf. You're going to prepare a home, in a room for me in heaven. And you will return one day. Wow. What a wonderful message. I hope today that you will know Christ this morning. And know the power of Jesus in your life. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we worship the risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the one who gave his life for us, the one who was raised from the dead, the one who is at the right hand of the Father, the one who will return again. I pray this morning if there is anyone here who, who is restless, whose soul is lost, and who is so alone, and perhaps worried about the future, perhaps worried about eternity, that today might be the day of a new journey of faith by trusting Jesus Christ. And if there is anyone here this morning, I invite you to pray this prayer with me. You've not committed your life to Jesus. To pray this prayer quietly in your heart. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me on the cross. Thank you that you took my place. That all my sins are forgiven when I repent and trust in you. Come into my life, Lord Jesus, and make me your child today. In Jesus' name, amen.